Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska and this, your favorite radio station and or translator, it is The Michael Dukes Show. Good morning and uh, welcome to the program Monday, Monday, Monday. And um, again, it is... uh, Oh, man, I had such high hopes. I had such high hopes that we would return today and either have had the vote or were about to have the vote that would have changed the lives of many of Alaskans today. But instead, we were betrayed. I'm just going to say we're betrayed. And I'm going to name some names today because there was an opportunity here to make a lot of Alaskans whole, and to help out in the light and midst of the pandemic and the and the aftermath of the initial changes wrought by the pandemic, the tail end of the uh, uh, of the recession and everything else. But uh, instead, what we ended up with was politics and grandstanding leading to some seriously messed up stuff. Um, and, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to have those discussions here today. Uh, Saturday was the day that it all went down and, uh, it was not a, uh, it was not a good day. It was not a good day for Alaskans. It was not a good day for, uh, the state as a whole. And, uh, we're going to talk about that. Um, and then we're going to get some. Then we're going to get some hot takes on it as well. Joining us on the program here in just a few moments, we're going to be talking with Representative Ben Carpenter, who uh, is a GOP state rep for twenty nine down on the peninsula, and he's going to tell us what his thoughts were on what happened this last week, uh, this weekend. Uh, in hour two, Sarah Vance from District thirty one will be joining us, also down in the peninsula. And we'll get her take on uh, everything that uh, that's going on. And where does it go from here? That's really kind of the most important question as of next. And you can already see the fixes in. So I guess we're going to start. We're going to start off here with what what exactly happened. What exactly happened on Saturday, um, and what uh, what actually came down when it was all said and done. Well. Um, I will say that um, I guess disappointment doesn't really doesn't really uh, uh, cover my feelings on this. We had an opportunity. I mean, first, let me just say that of all the yays that were in there, the ones that I was most surprised about. Um, now, again, this could just be politics. It could just be that they 
could read the room and I didn't actually watch the vote, so I don't know who laid their last votes in there, you know, who laid the votes in last. But uh, to see that both Chris Tuck and Tiffany Zulkowski both uh, voted in favor of a full-funded PFD and, uh, and concurrence uh, was a little shocking to me. I mean, I, I had hoped, but uh, I, had not, uh, I had not dreamed that they would both uh, sign on to it. Uh, but at that point, it really didn't matter. At that point, everything was dead, and it was, um, it, 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 and I think, quite honestly, it could be laid at the feet of three individuals. Now, this is going to be a hot take, and I guarantee you that some of you are going to be pissed about this, but I don't really care. Um, the three people that you could lay this at the feet of right now, because this was a vote of 18 to 22 to not concur with the budget, 18 to 22, meaning we were three votes away. And the three votes that we should have been able to count on that we did not were James Kaufman, David Eastman, and Chris Kirka. Those three voted against the budget, members of the minority who all gave Similarly hollow reasons why they voted against the budget. And I think you can lay the lack of full dividend at the feet of these three men. Period. Full stop. End of discussion. Steve Thompson and Bart Lebon, yeah, they voted against it. I really didn't have much hope that they would change their that they would change their minds. Kelly Merrick, of course, she was probably not going to vote for it. No surprise that they all voted no. Sarah Rasmussen, Josiah Patkatak, Neil Foster, all voted in favor. And as I mentioned earlier, Chris Tuck, Tiffany Zulkowski voted in favor of it. But these three, per- these three people said no. Eastman said the budget was too big and was just unsustainable. Well, again, one of the reasons, as Mike Shower pointed out last week, with the budget was so large, was because it included a full dividend, and even at, and that included, by the way, everything that was fully funded, all the departments, the education, everything fully funded, and the full dividend. James Kaufman made a similar argument, saying that he wanted a fiscal plan. Well, don't we all, James? Bart LeBon said the budget doesn't balance. Well, I mean, you haven't had any problem voting for budgets that didn't balance in the past, Bart. And Chris Kirk has said that a vote without a guarantee that there'd be no state funds spent on abortions, he would vote no. Now, of course, again, anybody who's really been following the whole abortion debate in the House over the you know what they're trying to do means that this language has come out again and again and again, and the powers that be in the administration and the bureaucrats have found ways around it, <clears throat> besides the fact that there is a guarantee of privacy in the Constitution that the courts have read to mean that they can, that the state can basically fund abortion. So this is really nothing more than, um, it, it's politics, folks. You, if you had left that language in there, nothing would have changed. Nothing would have changed, except somebody could have said, well, I did my part and I got the, but instead... They threw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and got everything done. And these three people are directly 
responsible for what happened. I mean, this was the reach around of of all reach arounds. This was the uh, bohica of all bohicas. And uh, I got to say right now, I don't, I mean, I'm not on Chris Tuck's, I mean, excuse me, I'm not on Chris Kirk's uh, um, uh, uh, campaign team, but um, there you go. I, I just don't, I don't see him becoming governor. Do you? I, I just don't, I don't see him becoming governor at all. Let's blame Eastman. Yes, let's blame Eastman and Kirka and Kaufman and LeBon and Thompson. But those other three were in the minority. Not, and I'm saying that it should have been a lockstep. We should have mandated. It should have been a binding minority. I'm just saying these guys talk a good game out of one side of their mouths and on the other side. I mean, this is this is it. This is it. It is it's insanity. Now, is the budget too large overall? Yes. I mean, I agree. I think the budget is too large overall. But the people are supposed to have first call on that. And this was an opportunity to help the people of Alaska get them back a portion of the monies that have been taken from them over the last six years because a big chunk of these monies are sitting right there, sitting in the ERA, just sitting there. And these arguments about how we were hurting education and doing all, it was all, it was all lies. It was all smoke and mirrors. Education is fully funded for this year. And in fact, education got a $60 million boost on top of everything else this year. I mean, this is, I mean, this is it right here. It is, uh, it's it's astonishing to to watch all this happen. But I, I squarely lay this at the feet of those three representatives because, uh, you know, and, and uh, 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 Kevin McCabe is in the chat room. He said, Tuck made the vote when it was obvious that the vote was going to fail. He was a no until he saw that it would fail without him anyways, and then he, he, he took the political route. Okay, great. I, I just... It is just so... So frustrating to watch it get so close, and then watch a, and then to watch the whole thing just come unstuck. Yeah, I agree. It was a it was a big budget. It was a bloated budget. It had it's got a lot of stuff in it that I don't like. But this was the one time that Alaskans were going to be able to get a chance to um, to receive some of what was theirs by right. And it's just, it's astonishing to watch this gamesmanship go on. And now here we sit um, with the conference committees already being made up. Now, interestingly enough, Louise Stutes, the Speaker of the House, has already named the replacements for her side. And surprisingly enough, even though the uh, even though the conference committee is already... Um, um, is already 
uh, or excuse me, is normally made up of the finance co-chairs and one member of the minority. Instead, what we see happening is she has eliminated uh, Neil Foster from the conference committee and instead naming uh, Kelly, uh, Kelly Merrick, Representative Daniel Ortiz, and Bart LeBon to that to to those positions. So really no I mean no member of the minority to speak of. Lebon really takes I mean I, and by cutting Foster out they do two things. First of all, they take a person who has been unabashedly a yes vote on a full PFD and not only do they take him out of the conversation, they now give him political cover because later on he could say, "Well, I really didn't have anything to do at the end." I mean, his district obviously wants a full PFD. But now they take him out of that uncomfortable position of having to argue for it in the uh, in the on the House side of the conference committee. Now on the Senate side of the conference committee, you've got Bert Stedman and Click Bishop, again the co-chairs of finance, who have all been anti full anti full PFD folks for a while, and you've got Willikowski, who is the pro PFD Democrat. Um, but that's, again, you got one out of six who has any kind of feeling of positivity towards the PFD. So the chances of this coming out of that conference committee with any kind of, uh, with any kind of, uh, of full PFD, pretty much zero at this point. And again, if. There, there's a momentum to politics. There's a momentum to doing these kind of things. And if those three folks, Eastman, Kirka, and Kaufman, had all signaled on early on that they were going to vote for the budget in light of what was going on to get the people their full PFD, they may have they may have swayed it. Garen Tarr made a heartfelt speech on the floor about how what a difference this would make to their people. To her people in the district, in her district, which again was just just poverty stricken and everything else, I mean she she talked about the life uh, life changing effects of a statutory PFD, but in the end she ended up voting no. If there had already been a momentum for passing it, it may have made a change. It's it's amazing, it's amazing, but here's where we are. Government again wins. Government wins. And the people lose. That's pretty much the answer right there. All right. We're going to... uh, We're going to continue. Ben Carpenter is up next. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show if you'd like to... Join us in the conversation. That's where you need to go. We'll be back with more right after this. The Michael Duke Show. Gravy for the brain. Okay. Uh, in the chat room here. Um, 
blah, 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 blah. Kirka lost my support. I removed him from my group. I threw away his signs. There you go. Simple question about a budget being too big. Did you want the governor to cut it down or the conference committee? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, if the gov- if the budget's too big, that's why you leave it to the governor. He's already said he wants to veto some stuff. But, I mean, this it doesn't matter. Can you say constitutional convention? Yeah. They allowed Zukowski and Foster to campaign. They vote. They they voted for a PFD. Yep. Uh, the governor called many of us and assured us there would be sensible, logical vetoes to get the bloat under control. It's an excuse, Kevin. I mean, any legislator, especially those in the minority that got up there and said the governor government was just too big, then you know. Um, now you're looking to blame others for our mistake, letting the SOB into our PFD. Yeah. Um, 15 to five in the Senate pass 18 to 22. Let that sink. in. now here we are should have done momentum. Yes. Let's clear this all up. Alaska thinks it, ha- it can get a fiscal plan. Well, I mean, I'm not sure of that yet. Um, he should tell the government, the Dunleavy should tell the committee that he will hard redline the budget until they stick the PFD back in. They think they have the votes to override. <laughs> we put the budget back into the hands of the, of the people, instrumental in stripping out the anti-abortion language. That was made very clear to Kirka. Yeah, I mean, Bert Stedman was the one that very clearly ripped that language out. So, I mean... Good job, Chris. Um, this is why Dunleavy can't be reelected. He's just hiding in the basement, has no power, says Paul. I see a special session moving forward. I would like to know who voted yes and who voted no, says Mark. Well, Mark, how about a uh, how about a picture? You want a you want a picture of it? Here's who voted yes, and here's who voted no. Let me see here. I'm looking. Uh, I would like to know. I'm gonna reply to Mark, so he can see it right there. There you go. Follow that little picture. That'll take you to a snapshot of just the vote board there on that one. Right there. That's it. That's who voted yes and who voted no. When it was all said and done. Um, be a huge improvement to do spending reforms to allow massive spending, especially under overslept. No governor shot for Kirka all over Facebook. Kirk is done. And uh, I mean, I you know, I as as much as Eastman is beloved in the Matsu for many different reasons, I think this may have been um, a miscalculation on his part. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll vote to reelect him again with open arms. Because he loves to throw himself on the sword and say what a great job he's doing for everybody. Maybe not. Um, all right. Well, we're about a minute out right now. And uh, we're going to hear from, uh, we're gonna hear from uh, Ben Carpenter here in just a second. Um, Donna says Dunleavy also deserves blame and Walker. Yeah, no. I mean, the governor, I think if the governor had made super clear from the very beginning 
that he, you know, what he would veto and the things that he would do. I think that would do. <laughs> oh, somebody just sent me a funny meme. Um, all right. Um, I believe we've got Ben Carpenter on the line here. You with us, Ben? Good morning, Michael. Hey, good morning. All right. Hold the line. Uh, we're going to be right back to you. Ben Carpenter is going to be our guest. We're going to kick things off here. Please like and share the show. Like and follow the video. Uh, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube, hit the follow button on Twitch, do all that stuff. Let's do it all. Um, I want to hear what you guys have to say. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right. Uh, welcome back to the program. We're ready to jump into this now. Getting the straight dope, as it were, from people who were there when it happened, including uh, our friend Ben Carpenter, GOP State Rep District 29 on the floor. I heard lots of uh, good things about Ben's floor speech before this vote took place. Maybe he can recap it for us here this morning and give us an idea of what happened. Uh, ben Carpenter, good morning, my friend. How are you, sir? Good morning, Michael. I can't believe that this thing happened on Saturday. It feels like uh, two months has passed. Yeah, I know. I imagine it's been uh, excruciatingly painful for the last couple of days for sure. Um, I mean, I heard good things going into this, Ben. I, I, was, I had actually regained a little bit of hope and thought, well, maybe people were going to do the right thing. Maybe this thing was actually going to come out. Maybe we were going to be able to put aside some of the some of the animus and some of the grandstanding and some of the other things that were going on. And maybe we were going to do what was right for the Alaskan, uh, you know, for the people of Alaska. And uh, instead, um, you know, what happened, happened. Um, and I want to know, I mean, I just, I just, I, I really don't even have any words. I've been pretty much speechless the whole weekend since I heard about it. So why don't you give me your thoughts as you guys approach this on the floor and as you started to, uh, see it forming and everything else. What give, give me the rundown here. Yeah, I guess I would, I would just say that if it was up to the legislators themselves and we were kind of locked away or sequestered in a building with it without any contact with the outside world, uh, sometime between Wednesday and Friday had we voted, I think this, uh, um, budget, we would have concurred with the, with the Senate version. Um, I think when you throw in the, uh, business interests, in particular, um, that caused some of the Republicans to uh, waver and go a different direction. And it's uh, pretty frustrating. I mean, you look at this, it's a Republican problem all the way around. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's been a Republican problem for a long time. And, uh, uh, you know, the dysfunction in the state is, uh, is uh, you know, it, it can be laid at the, the feet of the Republican Party almost from the get-go um, uh, for all these things. Um, and like you said, I mean, I was hearing that it looked like it may have had enough votes for pass, and that was one of the reasons why Louise Stutz continued to delay, 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 because there was a lot of arm twisting and pressures going around in the background. I mean, we had the AFL-CIO out there. There were, uh, of course, all the teachers' unions. Were there other organizations? Was it chambers? I mean, who else was who else was exerting pressure on this? Yeah, you, you nailed it. <laughs> 
chambers and other um, other industry support organizations uh, like stability, and uh, this this goes to the crux of the problem. I don't I don't think anybody in the business community really wants to find a solution to the PFD problem. They just don't want to be taxed themselves, and I don't I think they mistrust or distrust that the legislature is going to do anything other than that. Yeah, and this is why a conversation about a long-term fiscal plan and what we're actually how we're actually going to um, have a strategy for economic development in a state and how we're going to fund our state government going forward if oil is not going to be our our uh, one-trick pony is so damn important yeah it was it was frustrating I mean look um, were there things to hate in this budget <clears throat> absolutely. Um, were there things that I disagreed with in the budget? Absolutely. But this was the first time in, what, six, seven years that we'd had the opportunity for Alaskans to get a portion of what was theirs, to get, you know, the legal lawful portion of what they were owed out of the permanent fund. If not, if just for this year alone, it would have made such a huge difference, especially to the middle and low income Alaskans who, um, you know, to whom a five thousand dollars was is a big. You know, what was the comment from Natasha last week? What good is a fistful of cash? Well, for a lot of people, it's the difference between heat or eat, making the choice between heating the home or feeding the kids. And uh, I mean, this would have made a huge, huge difference. And uh, and instead, we've got special interests arguing that you need to take thousands and thousands of dollars out of families' pockets to protect their spend, and that, quite honestly, is reprehensible. Yeah, that's a that's an ignorant statement there, um, coming from somebody who could could uh, easily have a fistful of cash. Most people have never seen a fistful of cash. Right. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yo, it's pretty easy to say a fistful of cash won't make a hill of beans. I mean, when you make a hundred thousand bucks a month, it's pretty easy to poo poo somebody getting five grand. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we're we're talking different uh, different worldviews here. Sure, it's like throwing a hamburger away versus uh, you know your car. Um, it is, it, it's all a matter of perspective at that point. So walk us through the arguments here. And if you would, can you walk us through a little bit of what you're, like I said, I've heard several people mention and I haven't had a chance to watch it because I unplugged this weekend. I did not want to hear anything about it. I was so frustrated, but, uh, can you, can you walk us through those, uh, um, you know, what, what you had to say on the floor? Um, not at this moment. I can't, I don't even remember what I said on the floor, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Heat of the moment. But, I mean, the the argument that I would I would just uh, summarize for for folks is that we didn't. This whole process this year has been no no desire to reduce our our spending, and there's no will to prioritize savings over capital spending. It's it's been a um, we're coming out of a pandemic. We're coming out of uh, uh, rough times. We've got excess cash, and we're going to spend it. That's it. That's that's what the the theme has been, all all season long, and at the end of the day, you create a budget that's bloated, and it's got a little bit of something for everybody, and people have a hard time saying no to it, and without any any sort of other kind of strategy or overriding um, principles that say, hey, we should save money before we spend money, or we need to get leaner before we spend our excess or any kind of overarching principles other than, hey, we have excess cash and we're going to spend it. You're not going to get a budget that's much different than this. I mean, it just it just is uh, it's who you got down here. Right. Let's let's focus for a second on the arguments that we kept hearing from the other side. You're draining out our savings account. 
You're you're yeah. you're 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 defunding education. You're you know why do you hate the children and all this other kind of stuff? But this budget was fully funded. I mean, everything was funded, plus some. And yeah, we those are those are just those are just lies, uh, flat out. Um, you can't say that we're um, by making a policy call that we're not going to forward fund education that you're somehow cutting education funding. That's that's nonsense. I mean, we we give them that stick when we. <laughs> when we agree to do some sort of uh, forward funding of education, right? That's the right. downside to, to, to uh, agreeing to that argument. Cause right. then if you have to reduce it, then, then you're cutting education, but that's not the case. Education is fully funded. Matter of fact, it's, it's um, a, there's funding above the BSA right. in the current budget. $60 right? million dollars worth, right? I mean, it's a, for, it, for the current year, yeah, for, for the, the current year. Yeah. And next year we'll have a conversation about the, you know, the, the following uh, budget cycle. So, it is dishonest to say that we're cutting education by eliminating forward funding. It just is it's just a dishonest argument. Now, your vote on this, I'm assuming, was in favor of, I mean, as bad as this budget and as frustrating as this budget was, it had the full PFD. That's why you voted for concurrence on this? I mean, basically, because people would then get access to that money? What? Give us your take. Yeah, that, that is uh, exactly it. I am making a policy call that says, um, after coming out of the pan- pandemic, the best thing that we could do for the people of the state of Alaska, remember, most people work in the non-oil economy, and the best thing that we could do for that economy is to put $2 billion from the permanent fund earnings into the economy. It isn't to put $2 billion into state government. That's not the best way to support that non-oil economy. Yeah. Um, Ben Carpenter is our guest, uh, GOP state rep from District 29. Um, You know, am I am I wrong? I mean, I I had some analysis there at the beginning of the hour, uh, uh, Ben. And, uh, you know, even with uh, even with talk swapping out at the last moment and uh, being a no till he saw it was going to fail and then getting the political cover. I mean, really, there's a momentum to politics. And if the minority had come together early on on Wednesday after everything was passed out to them and the minority said, yep, we're in lockstep. We're going to do this. Um, and, uh, I mean, it would have, it would have, it could have created some more momentum and it looked like Garen Tarr was on the cusp. Uh, we knew Foster was on board. Maybe Zulkowski would have stuck with it as well. But the fact that we had Eastman and Kirka and Kaufman all turn around and give what I, uh, uh, am calling lukewarm excuses for why they didn't vote for the budget, uh, trusting on the governor who had said that he was going to do some serious vetoing of this with all about all these arguments about bloated budgets. Um, I mean, this really is what cost us the PFD in the long run. It's a, it's a um, perception or expectation issue because your, your assumption that the Republican caucus, because it exists as a caucus, all the members are rowing in the same direction or want the same outcomes is not, that's a fallacy. It's not accurate. We've, we've never had that. And so when it comes right down to the day that you have to vote, that becomes apparent. But it, it hasn't been clear the entire time to some folks outside the building, but it has been for those of us inside. So, again, this, this comes down to having to know your representative. We, we've never had consensus or a unanimous consent within our caucus as to how to vote on, on a budget that had a full PFD. It's, it's never existed. So are you saying that, 
I guess I guess what I'm looking what I'm looking to see here is is if they had if they had come to you as uh, as members of of the minority, which again you're saying is not unified, is not a it's not a monolithic group that will all vote in lockstep, and I don't think that we all are uh, stupid enough to think that that's happening. But if you're saying, I'm saying, if they had come to you and said, "Okay, we're going to vote for this because it's got a good PFD in it," we're going to set some of these other things aside. Um, that that wouldn't have made a difference, or what are you saying here? Um, I guess what I'm saying is the perception that the Republicans could have all come together and voted yes on a full PFD is not going. It wasn't ever wasn't ever going to happen with this group of people. Now, could we have made made a deal? that said, um, if we reduce the uh, energy subsidy, uh, energy relief payment, eliminate that out of the budget, but keep a full PFD, would all of the Republicans be on board? Well, we don't, ha- we don't have the power to do that. It's not like it's being that conversation's happening in a vacuum because there's other Democrats that don't want to have a full PFD. So those Republicans can go to those Democrats and say, you know what? I really don't want a full PFD. I'd, I'd rather have the uh, the 2500 uh, PFD. Uh, I'm saying the 2550 um, 5050 PFD. And so it's not it's not a conversation that's going to happen within the Republican caucus because there's there's um, uh, pieces to that game to that puzzle that don't include or outside the Republican caucus. So those members are free to go to those other you know, make deals with the other um, members of the legislature to, to get that smaller PFD. That, that's just, that's, I, I guess, I, I, don't, I don't know whether I'm answering your question, but I'm trying to paint the picture that it isn't, it isn't because people have an R behind their name or because they belong to the caucus that's going to make us successful. It's knowing whether the person actually supports um, limited government and a full statutory PFD versus are they just Republican? And that's, that's where we're at. Well, but and, I, the- and I think some of the districts are just never going to send somebody that um, that is a full PFD um, person. If you come from a district that's got a lot of business influence and business doesn't want a full PFD, then you're not going to have a representative that comes from that district that wants a full PFD. That's just the way it is. Well, and I mean, but I think, you know, some some are making the argument that here you voted for a full bloated budget. How could you call yourself a fiscal conservative? At the same time, I mean, these are the same kind of people that will applaud what Eastman and Kirka and others did for the same reason. I mean, is that I mean, I guess my point here is, is that we had an opportunity to put put the dollars in people's pockets instead of governments. Uh, Was it a bloated budget? Absolutely. Was it big and ugly? Yeah, absolutely. Did the governor have a chance to have a slice at it after when it was all said and done? Yes. I mean, these arguments about how big the budget was and that's why we voted against it to me again just uh <clears throat> smacks of again of that kind of that demagoguery and that 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 falling on the sword of I'm doing the right thing for all the right reasons basically look at me and instead the argument should have been we're putting this money in people's pockets directly instead of passing it through the hands of government and that is the highest use of what we could have done here well let me um let me uh share some of my thinking here what's most likely to happen is a continuation of the status quo. Okay. And I've been asking, what is it going to take to overcome the inertia of doing nothing about our fiscal policy? Because that's what we continue to do is do nothing about it. So we went through a, a process where we went right up to the uh, brink of a government shutdown last year and the Republicans caved. 
We didn't take that opportunity or that significant emotional event to actually sit down and have a conversation about what the structure of our um, revenue sources and our, our um, spending and, and solve the PFD problem. We, we, we punted. We said, oh, we'll have the fiscal policy working group. Okay, so fast forward to 20 to this year, and now we've got a conversation about a big, big budget, <laughs> a big bloated budget. And we're having a similar effect because now, now after the budget's passed, there's like some, some folks that are like, hey, we want to have a conversation about uh, fiscal policy because this really sucked. We didn't want to see a budget like this pass. It has a similar effect to the conversation about a um, government shutdown. It's a significant emotional event for enough people where now we have, have uh, attention on the, on the problem, which is we need to have a conversation about the larger issues instead of just this year's budget. We, don't, we aren't going to have that conversation unless a significant emotional event causes people to sit down and want to have that conversation. And this uh, is what I'm so frustrated <clears throat> with the business community. Right. They, hold, hold, they hold. are sitting on the sidelines. Hold on, Ben. Hold on. We're up against a break. we got to go. We're going to be back with more of the Michael Duke Show. Ben Carpenter is our guest. We'll return right after this. It's the Michael Dukes Show. Why not take a quick break? Be right back. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now, um, and uh, I mean, this is a point that I want to make uh, now, and I guess I'll make it again when we return to the radio band. All these people that were crying about how this was a big budget, and I'm not arguing that it wasn't a big budget, but basically by not voting not to concur, they're turning around and they're giving over a billion dollars back to the government instead of giving it to the people. And that is the short-sightedness of this whole thing to me. Um, is that we had an opportunity. Yes, this was the largest budget in history, primarily because $2 billion of it was the full PFD. But now, you're, you know, the argument goes, well, we're just trying to... You're giving that money back to the government to spend on whatever they want to spend it on in the future. You've taken well over a billion dollars out and given it back to the government. That's exactly it. And if you look at the sequence of how things went down... Um, from the you know Wednesday time frame to the Saturday time frame, um, we heard from multiple business interests that hey, you've got to concur or you've got to not concur, otherwise we're going to have uh, increased taxes. And lo and behold, what does Senate Finance dig out? They dig out one of the bills that's going to increase oil taxes. This is a concerted, coordinated effort amongst business and pro uh, pro uh, big government. Republicans to um, shift the, the dialogue away from uh, spending that money on the private sector, on the non-oil economy, and keeping that money for the, for the government. And the message became, if you do this, then we're going to uh, increase taxes on oil companies. That's, that's the, the, the subtle message that was sent. Now, there was no way that that bill was actually going to pass, and I'm suspecting the governor would never allow an oil tax increase to happen at this time. But um, that's that's the messaging that happened. And so this is <laughs> again, we, we have the conversation about what does what is our strategy for economic growth in the state? What is the fiscal policy, the fiscal plan going forward that that prioritizes economic growth in the non-oil economy? 
And how does the legislature pay for our budgets with that priority? Because right now, we don't care. 60 members, very few of us care whether the non-oil economy is growing because it is disconnected from what is happening down here. Right. Well, <clears throat> I, I agree that what we're seeing here is definitely the, uh, the, the hellish nature of, the, of crony capitalism. On top of, I mean, this this essentially boils down to special interest once more has won the day in the state of Alaska. Uh, the protection of the public economy at the expense of all else continues, correct? Yes, and you have to understand why. From the special interest, the business community's perspective, the legislature historically has said, um, we're going to come after you for tax increases when we, our demand for spending increases. And that's, that's from the public. That's from our constituencies, right? Special interest constituencies or just everyday folks that say, hey, we need, um, we need to spend more on roads. We need to spend more on social services. There's a claim. There's a special, um, special pool of money for every person in the state that wants to see uh, government spending, okay? And the only place that they can go to to pay for those, those demands are either oil taxes and, and a small amount of corporate income taxes, federal dollars, or permanent fund earnings. So the business community says, hey, you know what, there's a finite amount of federal dollars and, and not so much a finite amount of uh, permanent fund earnings, and I don't want you coming after me for increased taxes. So take the PFD. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't want you to tax me. But see, this again so is, this is, this is a very short-sighted argument because eventually that, that growth, that appetite for spending is going to consume everything available, including the full PFD. And I, then business will be on, agree. and then they'll so be on the hook this anyway. Is the ar- this is the argument that says the people who are demanding services ought to have a dog in the fight to pay for it. Otherwise, if they're looking for somebody else, the business community to fund it or the PFD to fund it, Eventually, that source comes uh, is consumed because of the demand. You're never going to to put a downward pressure on the demand until you force people to have a dog in that fight, and that's that's part of the challenge of looking at um, how do you how do you grow the economy. You can't look at our you can't look at our um, folks that live paycheck to paycheck that are just struggling to get by and, and say, hey, those folks are going to be the key to uh, growing the economy. They don't have the wealth. It's, it's not a, a function of theirs to, to invest in, in uh, infrastructure and business processes and, and uh, diversification. You're looking at people with wealth, companies with wealth that are able to, to invest that wealth and create wealth. So who are those folks? And right now you've got one of the highest corporate income tax rates in the nation. Why would they want to take the risk that the, that the growth of an economy you know, additional population growing into the state of Alaska is going to look to them for taxes. Right. The structure is broken for... Got to um, gotta go. Got to go. Hold the line. Uh, I'll let you finish this thought on the other side. Ben Carpenter is our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Like and share your video. Like and follow the show page. Let's continue on. Here we go. Back to it right now. Uh, 
Uh, we're continuing now with uh, Ben Carpenter, and I made the point um, as we were going to after we went to break that here's the problem for all these people that that uh, voted against the concurrence and said, "Well, it was because the thing was bloated and it was too much and it was big," and you know, I'm not voting for it because uh, you know, by by the abortion language was still here or whatever. The bottom line is, here's what they've done: they've essentially given back. Over a billion, almost a billion and a half dollars that would have gone directly to the people outside of the government. The government wouldn't have spent it. It would have gone straight to the people. And instead, they have effectively given the government another billion and a half dollars to do with as they see fit. Oh, and by the way, good luck. Do you think that this language is going to get this abortion language is going to get back in there? If that's really what it, the, the language, by the way, that's been in there for years and has never really made a difference. But you've traded all that. To give the government at a billion and a half dollars, and Ben was responding to that. Ben, yeah, I, I guess after I calmed down just a little bit, I, you know, we got to pick our our heads up and realize that this, you know, the discussions about the budget, um, the current budget is um, you're down in the weeds, and you got to you got to pick your head up and say what's the what's the big issue here? The big issue is we're still talking. The legislature is still talking about taking all of the resources of the state, all of the revenue that comes in and promoting government. We are not promoting the economy. We're not promoting economic growth. We've got no strategy for economic growth. And that's the, that's the problem because people are expecting that the state of Alaska is going to provide jobs, that we're going to have economic growth. That's what well, maybe, we want for our kids. Maybe that's part of the problem. Why are we looking to government to promote, you know, to promote economic growth and create jobs? That's not government's function. Government's function is to of- get out of the way. It should stay out of the way. You're you're absolutely right. So how do we get it to stay out of the way? If we want to grow the economy, we have to we have to look at ways to reduce our tax burden on the very people that have the wealth that would be spending that wealth to grow the economy. Otherwise, they don't want to get in the game because their wealth's at stake, and all and, and a portion of that's high portion of that's going to come right off to pay for the services that the people are are demanding. We've got a structural problem in how we we generate revenue for the state. And as soon as you take all of the permanent fund earnings and you use it to pay for state government, you still have a population that is disconnected from the cost of the services they're demanding. And you will then have taxes and no PFD. (laughs) And it's a death spiral at that point. It is. I mean, and we've reached that. I mean, Ben, I've come to the conclusion that there are factions within the legislature uh, wearing wearing different animals on their lapel, both sides of the of the party aisle, who I believe at this point don't want to find a solution. We've talked about not having a fiscal plan. We've talked about ignoring the workings of the, of the fiscal policy working group and everything else. I've come to the conclusion that that's what they want. They like it this way because it allows them in a crisis to basically take controls of those monies and do whatever, whatever it is that they want to do with it. Am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. That's why I have been saying, how do you overcome the inertia to do nothing about the problem? How do you overcome that? It takes a significant emotional event to cause people to come to the table and and actually deal with the problem. What is that event in your mind? I mean, what what I mean, we're at the emotional event in my mind in a lot of ways, but apparently not for everybody. What is it going to take? Yeah, so I made this statement earlier that it, that the the result of a big ass bloated budget 
or a government shutdown has a similar effect. It forces people to come to the table and say, hey, how do we prevent that from happening? This game's not over. We still have to concur with what's coming out of the conference committees. Right. And we're, we're right up to the edge of the edge of the uh, end, end of the session. So we're going to we're going to be forced with a vote that says, hey, you're going to go ahead and concur with this or what? The government's going to shut down again. Well, we still haven't addressed the problem. The problem is not the budget. The problem is the structural imbalance that we have within the state. Right. And we've got players who don't want to solve the problem. Ben Carpenter is our guest, GOP state rep uh, for District 29. Um, I mean, so do you think, it, I, mean, I guess, here we are, what, three days from the end of the session. It ends at midnight on Wednesday. Um, they've got to have the conference. You guys have then got to concur. They've got to do the enabling. They've got to do the sweep, the reverse sweep. You're saying that there are still things in the arsenal that can be used to try and bludgeon this in the right direction. But, I mean, again with everything that's against you, with what we've just seen happen on Saturday, what, I mean, what are the possibilities of it actually, of that hope actually coming to pass, actually something working there? Well, if you're not willing to have a conversation over a government shutdown last year, and you're not willing to have that conversation during the legislative session uh, to prevent a, a big-ass budget, then when? Is it, a, is it a constitutional convention? Is that the only time that we're going to have a conversation about what the right structure what the right tax structure, tax and spend structure looks like to promote economic growth. Is that is that the only time that we're going to be able to have this conversation is during the Constitutional Convention? I mean, I'm, I'm making an argument that we could have a conversation down here during the session, but there's not the will to do it. Right. So when the government shuts down, now we have to have a special session because it's not going to happen until the end of the first regular session or the regular session. So now we have to go into a special session, and nobody wants that. The public doesn't want that. Voters don't want that. Legislators don't want that. But when do you have that conversation? This is what I'm saying is that you got you have to break the will of the people that just want to continue the status quo. So what do we? How do we help? How do we do this? How do we? Because again, three days. I mean, this is going to yeah. have to go into overtime. I mean, am I wrong? I mean, they get they. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm going to make a prediction that says. There aren't enough people in, a, in an election year who want to break the status quo. <laughs> they we just, don't want to do that this yeah, year. They just want to keep it going because they want to get we're, out on the gonna, road and they want to get out yep. and do campaigning. They want to do all that. They want this behind them, so they're not going to rock the boat. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you're going to kick the can down the road because this is the wrong year. So it's all about timing. So I suspect that, that we're not going to have enough people who actually want to deal with the problem We've got momentum right now. We've got some um, additional folks who are having conversations about let's make some systemic change. Um, but I don't think you have the right people having that conversation or ha having the will to do that. And I would argue that as long as you have the business community, the lobbies sitting on the sidelines and they're promoting the status quo, then there's definitely not the will because you don't have any reinforcements. You don't have anybody saying, yeah, okay. We can see a positive outcome of this. Let's have this conversation. Final thoughts, uh, Ben Carpenter. We're down to the last minute here. Uh, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you have the floor here. Yeah, I, it's uh, such a difficult thing for voters to consider because it's a uh, it's a complex process. It's not just straightforward. Um, this this budget is not just straightforward about this year. It's about so much more than that, and it's important for people to understand 
whether their um, candidate going forward is a pro-government, pro-big government spend candidate or whether they are uh, for Alaskans and for a diversified economy and for breaking the status quo of, of the situation in, in Juneau and how we do our, our budgeting process and how we spend our money. It, it's, uh, it's a big nut to crack and I, uh, I wish everybody the best of luck. Ben Carpenter, thank you so much, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board and joining yeah, us thanks today. thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, giving us your thoughts anyway on this. We're out of time. Hour two, dead ahead. Sarah Vance, up next. Special interest keeps the makeup of the Senate and Senate finance. It's a fact. Machiki is a special interest mole in the legislature. Convince me I'm wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I think Machiki is a big part of this. It's obviously Stedman, Bishop, Machiki. This is all part and parcel of the problem, for sure. Um... I'm, scro- I'm scrolling backwards here. So, Michael Dukes, are you ready to start thinking about a constitutional convention? I've been thinking about the constitutional convention the whole time. And like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm coming, to the, coming to the terms of the fact that it may be the only viable solution to this whole thing. It still gives me hives to think about, but, I mean, at this point, these people are obviously not interested in fixing the problem. And all the Republicans, like American Stutes and others, not acting for the people. Merrick will be voted out next term, at least her district I'm hearing can't stand her. Well, exactly. I mean, this is the opportunity. I mean, you're going to lose You're going to lose Stutes. You're going to lose Von Imhoff because she's not running again. You're going to lose Thompson because he's not running again. Who's running against them? Who's running for their seats? I don't know yet. Um, Bishop just got censured by his own district. So what's going to happen there? Who are they going to put in a seat against him? I mean, this is this is where it matters. You know, if you're going to change out the players, who are you changing them out with? Paul says it'll take a statewide radio and media blitz calling the Raiders out and make it so they can't backtrack. It takes people running. Well, exactly. I mean, if I was running against any of the people in those, and again, go back to the picture of uh, of the folks who voted against the uh, who voted against the concurrence. If I was running against LeBon or Kaufman or uh, Merrick or Thompson or Eastman or Kirka or whoever, if I was running against any of those people, this would be on every ad that I took out. They voted against a full PFD. I mean, just every one of every one of those would would they would this 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 little uh, graphic, this little icon that you're you're looking at right here. Every one of those, every time I ran an ad, this would be up there with their name circled. They voted against a full PFD every single time. Kaufman is in Jennifer Johnson's pants. 
Uh, you know, I mean, either that or he's got the puppet strings. I mean, is he like the Muppet with her hand up his backside running him? I don't know. And it would be self-defeating. Kirka and Eastman are two of the biggest advocates for a full PFD in the whole legislature. Bullshit. And I, if I didn't say that clearly enough, let me just remind you that... Uh, that was just BS. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. They are not. Because if they were, they would have voted for this. And as much as you want to make excuses for the two of them, Matt, this was a, this was a foolish maneuver. If by doing this that they thought that they were going to get the abortion language that they wanted or that they cut back on it or everything else, they didn't. Eastman's argument that the budget was too big. Well, great, you just handed a billion and a half dollars back to the government. That, that's money that could have gone into people's pockets. But instead, you handed it back to the government. And do you really think the conference committee is going to put Kirk's language back in that he wanted, that has been in the, there before and made no difference whatsoever? I mean, that's insane. What wouldn't I trade for the, P, for the PFD, not the PDF, the PFD? What wouldn't I trade for the PFD? Well, I guess I wouldn't trade my soul. Sure would be nice to see that money get into the hands of Alaskans, though, wouldn't it? And not to demagogue on a, on a single issue like that. So principles make no difference. Got it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I said, Matt. Way to straw man the hell out of that, buddy. Way to straw man the hell out of it. <clears throat> Anyway, this whole thing is just so insane to watch. So insane to watch. But there you go. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the bottom line is, is that they've probably done more damage to themselves than anybody else. I mean, here's the thing. They are very, I mean, these are, these are pro-life guys. What if this one vote gets them unelected? What if this one vote leads to their downfall? Now you've lost some now you've lost some real good pro-life guys in the in the legislature. I mean that's the thing. It, it, you know, they've cut off their nose to spite their face in this regard. But oh well. It, it, you know, uh, I think a lot of people are disappointed in in this uh, in this move by them. Like I said, I mean, I've agreed with a ton of almost everything that David Eastman has done or stood for. I've agreed with. Haven't always agreed with his methods, but I've always agreed with. It. This was just stupid. This was just foolish. And uh, you know, I, I think that they, I think that they've miscalculated. That's what I'm saying right now. I think that they've miscalculated, but uh, I guess we'll I guess we'll have to see. All right, uh, phones are ringing. That means we got Sarah Vance up on the on the uh, line. We're getting ready to uh, rock and roll here. We got to continue. Hour two, dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, Monday on the program. And we are uh, dissecting what took place this weekend in the legislature with the vote on the concurrence for the budget, which included, of course, a full PFD. We now know that that vote failed 18 to 22. And uh, it is, uh, I mean, it was a, it was tragic. It was absolutely tragic. And I personally am laying the blame of this vote at the feet of three legislators, uh, uh, the legislators that are in the minority, uh, James Kaufman, Chris Kirka, and David Eastman. I think that if they had come on board earlier on in this discussion last week and said, we're going to stand behind this, that it could have created enough momentum to carry this over. Now, I'm being chastised in the chat room by some people for not being conservative enough or libertarian enough or fiscally conservative or anti-life enough or whatever it is that they're saying that I'm not. I'm just saying that I'm laying all this <clears throat> there's there's plenty of blame to go around, but primarily those three folks right now are the ones in my crosshairs. And uh, like it or not, love it or not, that's how I feel about this. But let's get somebody else's take on this. Joining us this hour is uh, Sarah Vance, who is the GOP state rep for District 31 down in the peninsula. She was there on Saturday. Let's see what uh, let's see what she has to say. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? Good morning, Michael. Um, so um, I guess I, I guess for self gratification purposes, am I wrong? I mean, am I? I mean. Is this, you know, this was a close vote. This was three. Now, if Tuck only voted yes because he saw it was going to fail, you'd have to pull somebody else. But maybe Tar could have come on board. I mean, I don't know. Am I being too harsh? Uh, no, I, I I think you see it pretty clearly. Um, you know, I don't want to throw stones, but I think the people see things exactly as they are. Well, I guess it depends on which people you're talking about. Well, uh, I, I would say the majority of the pro PFDers are saying this is what it was about. Right. Everyone knew that this was why there was delay, that um, it was all about the dividend. And that's why I said in my floor speech that, hey, if it wasn't a full statutory PSD, I wonder if these same people would be calling this budget irresponsible. Right. Oh, no. I highly doubt it. Oh, I, absolutely. It's got everything they could ever wish for in it. I mean, that's the thing. They're looking to the long game and saying, if we spend this money on the PFD, that's less money for us to spend down the road. 
And, Correct. and, and I think that's the whole thing. And, and this argument from some of the people who voted against it, well, that it's big. I mean, first of all, the governor still hasn't had his crack at it. Second of that's all, right. by voting no, you've effectively given the government back one, $1.4 billion or whatever it is, one point, over a billion dollars you've given back to the government to allow them to spend how they want down the road. That's what you've done. You know, the incredible part is that um, this year's budget also includes another billion dollars into the corpus of the fund. And then the, the four years that I've been there, about $10 billion has been transferred from the earnings reserve to the corpus of the fund. So I, I think that's important to note because um, that money isn't going into our state savings account. It's going into the corpus of the fund, which is, is wisely invested. It, it does a great job. So it's from a financial perspective, it's a really good move. And the legislature can't touch the corpus. However, that only fuels their argument that says, oh, well, we can't overdraw the ERA. Right. We can't afford a dividend. Right. Because <laughs> the draw. You know, we, we scrape from the top every now with the PLMB, it's that 5% that goes into the earnings reserve. Well, that used to be transferred directly to the dividend fund to the people. But now it's looked at as the big piggy bank. But, oh, we can't touch that. Right. We can't overdraw. That's irresponsible. Right. Well, I mean, and this whole this whole argument about how, oh, it's irresponsible to spend out of our savings now. I mean, you guys, you you guys, not you, but the allegedly, I mean, we've spent $18 billion over the last six years out of our savings, but it would be irresponsible to spend anything out of our savings this year. Right. I'm glad that we've had the savings these past number of years to be able to get us through these hard times. I mean, after all, that's what it's there for. But the... The mood is to not put money into the savings anymore because it doesn't make a high of a return as if it's invested into the permanent fund. And right. it's just an interesting um, transition that the legislature has taken these past number of years is, well, this one makes more money. It's smarter. But then you give the people the excuse that, oh, well, we don't have, we don't have the money to be able to give them the first draw. And that's the, that's the rub. You know, the people haven't changed their mind. What were some of the, you know, I mean, I, I for everything I hear, and I get lots of texts and emails and calls from people who are down there in Juneau trying to give me the, the behind-the-scenes, you know, dope, so to speak, on everything that's going on. And all I heard last week was how the, the people were running up and down the halls of Juneau, wringing their hands. There was arm twisting going on, leadership. We had leaders from both sides of the – both chambers running around desperately trying to do this. What What did you hear? What did you see? What were some of the arguments being made by the special interests in some of these people who wanted business as usual to continue? Oh, well, that, that um, you know, that we needed to think about the future. And, um, you know, as if we're not. And that's that's the other thing is as if the money going to the hands of the people, which feeds our economy, nothing else feeds our economy like the dividend, that that's somehow not helping our future. Um, the the uh, chambers, right, the business groups, right. how they they think that it's irresponsible. We're going, I thought you represented businesses that wanted to make money. You know how this works, right? Right. I. <laughs> 
I mean, this money has to go to the economy, right? I mean, I'm still scratching my head on that one. Um, And the the interesting thing, we still have a surplus and next year's budget pencils out as well. Now, I'm not making the argument that this was such a glorious budget or that that we shouldn't be putting more into savings. I absolutely believe that. And we there's a lot of those uh, pork projects in there that don't belong. But the cards that we were dealt is up or down vote. And that our one shot in six more than six years to be able to give a, a lawful dividend to the people, that's the vote that I'm going to take. And then right. let the governor pull out his red pen. And that's the conversations that were happening, and there were legislators that were meeting with the governor. I don't know what those conversations were, but, um, you know, I noted, I don't know if the video caught it. Um, when I first stood up to give my speech, Representative Garantar um, spoke before me. Right. And she was one who they twisted her arm because I really believe that she could have voted with us. Right. She has one of the poorer districts in the state. She has a heart of gold. Okay, I know that she's very left, but she truly has a heart of gold. I've been working with her more on um, the sexual assault, uh, you know, bills. And, um, you know, she has, she's such a thoughtful person. She really wants to do what's right. But for some reason, they were able to convince her once again to to stick with the, the the binding caucus and instead of voting for her district. And she alluded, she spoke to something like that, that she's, she wanted to vote to give concurrence because of how many people it would, the full dividend would help in her district. However, she was going to stick with, with um, supporting um, their vote with the caucus. And at the very beginning of my speech, I said, I hope you get what you've been promised. Because <laughs> obviously there was some quid pro quo going on in there. I mean, again, I and, yeah, I would have thought that she was like one of the ones that was most easily swayed to the full dividend. Because again, she even said it in her speech, it would have life-changing effects. A full dividend would have life-changing effects on her constituency. Absolutely. And the sad part about it now is that the, after that vote, the day after the vote, hey, Garen, how are you doing? She's like, terrible. And her bill that she's been working on, uh, which is HB5, it is, it is redefining the term consent, the word consent, in cases of rape and sexual assault. It's really important. We really need to update um, this statute. Department of Law has been working with her. She's been working on this, I think, five years. And... I don't know that she's going to get that across the finish line. And that breaks my heart. Um, I don't know what kind of exchange she made, but I I just want to ask her, why do you keep believing them? Right. If if you look at the bill, um, the bills that are on the house floor today, there are 12 bills on the floor today. And there are 20, a total of 21 over in the Senate. Now, some of those in the Senate is, um, a bill that would follow uh, a resolution for a title change. So it's not 21 actual um, bills, but they are moving things through so fast to fulfill all of their promises. It's so obvious. 
And we have three days left. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, and I, I, again, I keep going back to some of the arguments that we heard from some of the folks in the minority about how this budget was so huge and so this and so that. And I, I just can't wrap my brain around. I mean, I, look, I'm a fiscal conservative. I want government to spend less. But if you're going to spend money, first of all, there's this thing called the law, right? I mean, we had the statutory PFD. We were owed that money. Alaska, you know, Alaskans were supposed to have first call on that money. And of all the things that were in the budget, this was the one thing that would do the most good, putting $100 million into every voting district directly into people's hands. This would have done the most good. And of all the things that government, I mean, if government's going to spend, I'd rather see that money go directly into the pockets of Alaskans instead of into special interests and government bureaucracies and, and, and corporate cronyism and everything else. And just this argument that somehow this budget was just so huge we're going to vote against it and take that money out of Alaskans' pockets. I just it blows my mind. The other uh, important part to keep in mind is that uh, once again, the operating and the capital budget were combined into one, and we haven't had a good capital budget in I don't know a decade, right? Yep. And um, there was money to the port of Alaska, which I did that. I toured. I went down in the inlet and toured that, and. If we do not do something now, within three years, they are going to have to decommission portions of that port because it will not be safe and it's going to start falling into the inlet. I know that sounds like a fear tactic, but no, right. it's true. I went and saw the pilings underneath. They're, they're in really bad shape. And that's where 90% of our goods are moved. And we have to do something about it. We'll either pay for it now or we'll pay for it later. Uh, and they didn't get as much money as what they had hoped. I think there was $100 million for that project. And then also the Port of Nome, which is um, important for our national defense and trade. So um, there's really important projects like that that are also included. It's about time that we start investing into our infrastructure in roads and ports. Now, the Alaska Long Trail. Come on, Governor. I hope you redline that thing. <laughs> this oh, is my the goodness. this is the twenty million dollar project where they're going to create a walking trail from uh, the port to to the North Slope or something. Um, something like that. Yeah. You know, I I I'm from Homer. We like trails and we like bike paths and things like that. But when our roads are when our, when our roads are being um, the means for real estate, you know, that you that you could a pothole could be set up as a a, a, a piece of property. Um, maybe we ought to focus on that first. Yeah, no, exactly. With the way with the way the Glen and parts of the Steese and parts of the Sterling Highway, when they all look the way they do, I think the last thing we need to worry about is creating a, a foot track all the way to the North Slope for the twelve people that will be using it over the next ten years. Uh, Sarah Vance, hold the line. Sarah Vance is our guest. Uh, we're going to continue this discussion here in just a moment. We're going to uh, we're going to continue the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Don't forget, you can join us over on Facebook at facebook.com/slash Michael Duke Show. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. Come on over and join us. We'll be continuing on it 
We got more coming up. And Sarah Vance right after this. Don't go anywhere. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break with Sarah Vance. <clears throat> um, how big of it, I guess... You know, I got started uh, this morning, Sarah, and I was a little hung up about it, and I, I got chastised in the chat room by some people because I was beating up or piling on for, you know, Eastman and Kirka and Kaufman and, and LeBon and, and Thompson and everything else. But, I mean, if if at least three or four of them had come on board, the momentum of this could have carried it over the finish line, right? You know, I I think I think so. It's It's so hard to say. But we really felt that we could have had the votes. And that's why, and obviously, uh, the speaker thought the same thing. That's why she delayed it for four days. Um, now, Kaufman, he he stuck to his word on what he ran on. And he feels that he's truly representing the will of his district. Um, they they said it clearly when he was elected that the dividend was, was not the issue for him. And... Um, I, I had hoped that he would have looked at the, the fuller perspective of the impact. Um, he did say, this is a, this budget's too big, and I said that I was going to work on that downward pressure. Um, Bart and Steve, they have stayed consistent with the way that they voted for the past several years. Um, but it, it, still, it still hurts because... Uh, there are a lot of us who are looking at the impact that it not only makes to our district, but also to the entire state of Alaska. And um, for, particularly for Bart and Steve, they feel that we can't overdraw the earnings reserve, that it's too much, um, which, hey, I, I understand their perspective. But when it's members of your own team that caused the vote to fail for the things that you've been fighting for the, for the, the entire time that you've been here, um, and the fact that it's just following the law, that's the part that I still I I have a hard time with. I mean, my emotions have been a mess because of it, along with everybody else's. Uh, Sarah Vance is our guest uh, here. On the program, um, you know, I got I, I I was just pontificating on the fact that I think that this is going to endanger some seats, I think, uh, in the long run, because, you know, while it may have been May Kaufman and Thompson and LeBon may have been in serious, you know, in 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 sync with their constituencies, uh, you know, the people in the valley, the people in they are very much pro PFD. And it's hard for me to look somebody in the eye and have them tell me, well, I'm pro-PFD, but I'm voting against this because this is such a large budget. Uh, I mean, yes, it is a large budget because $2 billion of it is the full PFD. Uh, and yes, it was still a large budget outside of that, but we've done everything that we can possibly do to get it. Doesn't it make sense to put that money in the people's hands directly, though? And the argument that right. somehow that that's wrong is just, to me, is, Wow. Yeah, it's um, 
it seems like there's for some people there's always uh, a reason to say no. Always an excuse. Well, and, and I, yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. It's an excuse. I mean, it is an excuse that uh, you know that they, that somehow this was a way for them to, I don't know, highlight whatever that they wanted to highlight. I mean, for Eastman, he's quoted as it's being a big budget. Kirka was talking about the language that was not in there, but that language has been superseded so many times. And I mean, I guess my question is now: now that you voted no, are they going to put that language back in? Is the conference no, committee going to put that language back in? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I don't think um, it, it wasn't even uh, close in the the Senate. Yeah. And I mean, if it had been like one off, then, then maybe that's worth an argument. But it wasn't. Right. And we we had that fight. Now we have to move on to try to win the next one. Yeah. Um, Sarah Vance, uh, hold the line here. We're about 30 seconds out and we're going to get back to Sarah here in a, in, in uh, just a minute. Lynn in the chat room says perhaps the real reason is they didn't want to give a win to the governor. Maybe. I mean, this is all going to end up in the, uh, um, it's, it's all going to be, uh, it's all going to be a, a hot mess. Anyway, the governor's going to get this whole thing to begin with anyway. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump back into it here. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based. Free Thinking Radio. Like and share this uh, show. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now. Sarah Vance is our guest. Uh, uh, GOP state rep for District 31 down on the peninsula. We are just talking about everything that took place on Saturday. Um, ben Carpenter said uh, in the last hour, he said he thought if, if they could have gotten the vote to the floor between Wednesday and Friday, they feel like, uh, he felt like that they probably would have gotten a concurrence. But it was that final day. Sarah, was that kind of the feeling that you got as you watched everything that was happening down there? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they were... There were some pretty nervous majority members, and uh, they were they were working things um, pretty hard. And I even had a majority member um, who I work great with that came into my office and said, "Hey, we got to talk about this." And and usually people don't try to uh, you know dissuade me from my vote because I I've, right. I've been pretty consistent, right? And they they were desperate. They they wanted you to vote no, and they were doing it even though they would normally not come to you with that. They's like, "Yep, hey, you got to hook, you got to help me out here." Well, because they knew that they they've always been able to get votes from other places, but they were trying every every person and every angle that they possibly could because they knew it was going to be so close. So, Sarah, it's gone to the conference committee now, and the conference committees have been chosen. Uh, surprisingly, Louise Stutes uh, chose the standard conference committee is normally made up of the two finance co-chairs and one member of the minority. Uh, but in this case, she chose only one member of the uh, of finance committee and then really uh, didn't choose anybody from the minority i mean lebon is t- is is actively worked in the majority ortiz has as well 
I mean, are, are they trying to justify to say this is a, one of these is a member of the, I mean, is because LeBon's got an R next to his name, he's a member of the minority or what's the, what are you hearing on this? Well, Bart is uh, a member of our caucus and um, she chose him last year and he voted exactly how she wanted him to. <laughs> and and now Foster, he gets a, he gets a, uh, he gets a pass because again he's pro PFD or ostensibly pro PFD because his district is, and now he gets to say, well, you know, they I he did he doesn't have to stand by a vote in the conference committee and he doesn't have to argue for it. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that he will vote according to our caucus because that position that vote is not his own; it is to represent the minority, and. Um, that's the biggest uh, area of grief that I've had, particularly with him. You know, I, I mentioned it before with with members. I can't, I can't be angry for how they vote because if they feel like they're truly representing the will of their district, it's the people in their district that will hold them accountable, not me. Right. And so I have to respect however they vote, even though I'm, I'm heartbroken about it, even though. I highly disagree. That's they're accountable to the people of their district and they get to decide. But when it came to that conference committee vote, that was for our caucus. That was to represent us. And that's where I've had a hard time that Bart chose to represent himself that day. And I'm right. hoping that this year that it, it goes differently because that's what really matters. You know, we talk about, integrity and your word is the only thing that you have in the Capitol building. And, and when you break that among your members, it's really, really hard to get that back. It is, I mean, as he, as he, as uh, uh, he promised to vote for the will of the caucus, or, I mean, I'm assuming he was chastised for the last go around. Has he made any kind of uh, inclination that he's going to vote for the will of the caucus, or is he going to try and use his own best judgment in that case? You know, I haven't had a conversation with him about it yet, and um, we we still need to have a conversation in the caucus. But you know, I hope he does. Bart's Bart's a good man, and he's uh, as far as being a team member, he he doesn't um, go and wag his finger at our in front of our face for how we vote, and and that's to be respected. Um, you know, just like James Kaufman. He's keeping his word to his district. Even though I really don't like how he voted, I have to respect that he's keeping his word because that's what I'm doing with my district. Um, you know, that's that's the challenge that we have, right, is that the people have to send uh, people, legislators, to Juno who are going to, number one, truly represent them, and number two, keep their word and fight for what they said they would do. And um, it's clear not every house district prioritizes the dividends like we do. Right. Well, and I was just talking about, again, Neil Foster. His his district obviously very much wants a full PFD. They would benefit from it, you know, more more than, than most because, again, of their economic status in those areas. He's voted yes, uh, but by keeping him off of the committee – 
they've not only eliminated a voice who potentially could be arguing for yes, they've given him some political cover because now he doesn't have to argue for it on the committee and doesn't have to vote and be on the record in the conference committee on that vote. Um, I mean, is that was that punitive or was it protective in your mind? Uh, you know, it could be seen as both. It's almost <clears throat> insulting that um, him being the co-chair of finance uh, was not appointed to that committee. But like you said, um, he then could uh, have the cover that he needs to not have to vote for the will of the caucus, which is clearly not supportive of the PFD. So it does provide him cover um, because when you get to conference committee, the, com- the that vote is not for your district. It is for your caucus. Um, Sarah Vance is our guest, GOP state, uh, uh, state rep for District 31. So what do you, what do you look at the time frame? We're three days out. Um, the conference committee started work yesterday, apparently. No public testimony or anything else. They're just doing their thing. What, what does it look like to you? Do you, you care to, to lay a prediction down as to what's going to happen here over the next couple of days? What do you think? Well, yesterday's meeting was organizational, and uh, so they didn't take up any budget items. But they do have their action item sheets that uh, they will be taking up today, I believe. I don't know the time. Um, we have to, they have to have their work done by Tuesday night in order for us to gavel out Wednesday night because the bill has to, as far as I remember, the bill would have to sit on our desk for 24 hours. I could be wrong on this. I was just reading through our rules uh, regarding conference committee last night, but um, they will take up uh, the changes. I believe they're going to ask for uh, the free conference authority and the bo- both bodies have to give them that, that says, uh, they can pick a number in between the the lowest and the highest numbers that uh, were agreed upon by each house, each body. So um, we haven't done that yet. I, I imagine that will take place on the floor in both the House and the Senate today. And, of course, if they pick a number between the highest and the lowest, that's uh, 4,200 for the highest and twenty or 1,250 for the lowest. This is where that we keep hearing that number of 2,500 keeps popping up when it's all said and done. Yes. And I did have a conversation uh, concerning the, um, the energy relief check. And they are going, if they choose to keep that, they are going to make adjustments that um, it will fall under the hold harmless provision for people who qualify for um for any type of support, um, because that previously would not have been held harmless, harmless on their income. Uh, but I did find out it will also be taxed the same as the dividend. That was a concern of it costing the lower income uh, families even more money. And that's something that I heard that they will be adjusting in conference committee is providing a fix for that. So you're saying uh, if they had received the relief check and that uh, money would have pushed them over a threshold for housing assistance or uh, food assistance or something like that. Yes. Now it holds them harmless from that. They would still be allowed to receive that. Yes. Uh, I mean, they would have still been able to receive it, but it wouldn't be counting towards their income. Right. So that's uh, a conversation that we've been having so that we don't inflict even more harm to families who need it the most. 
But it will be interesting to see what comes out of conference committee. I really have no idea what they're going to do. Um, it will it will be uh, it will be interesting to see uh, if uh, there's any punitive measures against members. I'm really hoping not because there's some key infrastructure projects that are needed across the state. And, um, well, and of course, it's time. It's time we invest in that. Right. Well, and of course, none of those are guaranteed. Now that they've said no, all of that stuff is on the table for cutting or discussion or whatever. They could lose money. I mean, the Matsu could lose the funding that they received, which was still a pittance overall, but they could re- they could lose all that. Um, and uh, anything for the, for the peninsula could be lost and everything else. Uh, and they could come out with something. Now, here's the thing. Again, three days. The legislature is supposed to gavel out on Wednesday, but they do have a 10-day grace period, right? There's a 10-day window that they can extend it out beyond that? There is, but we have to give our vote for that. Exactly. And I have already said, no, I'm not gonna. (laughs) You've had all this time to figure it out, and the House has chosen to delay by, what, three to four weeks? Yep. Uh. No, I no, I'm not going to extend just so that you can prolong this process. And um, knowing Senator Stevens, he probably has the budget already prepared for them to be able to vote on, and they can make it happen when they want to. That's the reality. Um, if they force this, though, I mean, we could potentially. I mean, theoretically, this could come to the facing of a of a government shutdown if they decide. If they can't get it all done by Wednesday and there's not enough votes to carry over the 10-day window, and that would either mean a special session or a government shutdown at that point. Correct. And Word on the street is that the governor won't do a special session to bail us out, which I wholeheartedly agree. Well, but again, if they can't get enough votes to get the 10-day extension in, then they damn sure don't have enough votes to get the, to get a special session called. Correct. But the governor could, uh, they could, you know, beg the governor to call a special session. Um, but he's made it clear, we need to figure this out. And, um, you know, we've been through this before, where I think when we were fighting for her um, to repeal SB 91, right. we were three hours from having to adjourn and they asked for an extension. And we said, no, figure it out. You make, you, you work this out right now. Right. And they did. Yeah, they did, and that really pushed and helped us get a stronger crime bill. Yeah, no more, no more kicking the can down the road. No more pandering to any of this stuff. Um, Sarah Vance is our guest. We're gonna let her hold on for just a second as she gets her stuff ready. We're gonna continue. We'll have one final segment, and then we'll be back. We'll do kind of a roundup of what went on during this whole session with her when we return. It's been a while since she and I talked. So I thought we'd get a quick hit on this. Back with more of the Michael Luke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with Sarah Vance right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're still on the line here with um, 
Sarah Vance, and we're getting ready to uh, – we'll have one final segment with her, and we'll do a little bit of a recap of everything that took place during the session, her thoughts overall, and what we can expect to see in the next three days. Uh, so that's pretty much it. Um Sarah, other than that, anything else you want to? Sh- how how is? I mean, are you ready to get? Are you ready to go home? That's my question. Oh my goodness, I was ready to go home a while ago, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I think all of us are. It's um, it, it gets challenging this time of year because uh, this is the fifth month that I've been away from my family, and I I get to see them once a month. It's I tell you what. I might as well live in Timbuktu to be in Homer for what it takes to get there, uh, you know, with canceled flights uh, and delays and things like that, you know, um, trying to make sure that I'm here to vote for the people um, is, is so important. And I've had to, to remind myself that representing the people, regardless of the outcome, is enough. And... Um, I, I really appreciate the feedback that, that I've gotten. Is the, y'all have no idea how much the encouragement really helps us get up <laughs> and do it all again and, and get back in the fight. It really does matter. Right. Well, yeah, I can't imagine it. It's got, I mean, it's probably a, a week's worth of work to get back for the weekend uh, just to return. Uh, I imagine it's a, uh, I imagine it's quite a process. Well, it takes uh, it takes a lot of hours, and you know, I I only get maybe a day and a half when I get to go home for the weekend. Right. Um, but coming back, you know, you're um, you have to jump right in, and um, the stress of of feeling like you're going to miss a flight and an important vote uh, is a challenge. But you know, just a few hours that you get with family, you can't um, put a price tag on that. Yeah. Um, but right now we're here um, finishing the work of the people. And, um, you know, there are times where I've been like, why can't, why am I doing this again? I, <laughs> I, I'm missing so much of my children's lives. And I feel like I'm, I've aged uh, so much in these last four years. Yeah. But when people remind me that I'm doing exactly what they elected me to do, and that's why I'm here. Um, that's the reminder that people need the representation and, um, you know, that's what keeps us going day after day. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's said, we appreciate your sacrifice. We appreciate, you know, uh, going down there and doing those things. I can't imagine it's easy even when you are on the floor. Um, the frustration level, I mean, it's frustrating for us to watch from the outside looking in being inside the fishbowl has got to be a whole new type of torture. Um, at this point, to watch all those things go on, so we appreciate uh, we appreciate uh, all that you do and and fight for down there on this. Um, I want to uh, let me go back here into the chat room real quick and see if there is uh, some comments in here. Uh, thank you, Sarah, uh, from somebody. Uh, Jason says we in Sarah's district are very happy with her efforts in Juno. Rep Vance has shown much needed leadership during this turbulent times, uh, for sure. Um, um let's see here uh adam wool's part of the problem yada 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 shut it down shut it down shut it down um is uh what several people have said shut shut the government down uh laura and julie and Dodie all say thank you sarah jennifer thank you sarah uh special session baby 
Um, uh, just going back here. Uh, Kaufman was chirping anti-PFD early on. Kim says, thank you, Sarah, for bringing up the hold harmless on the energy check. I appreciate that. Um, this actually brings me to another question, Sarah, since uh, we got a, uh, got about a minute and a half here. Um, this this may raise the specter for some people uh, in the legislature that, that may come back to bite them, and that, this may empower the whole constitutional convention thing. What's your thoughts on that real quick? Oh, I think that they practically handed uh, the Constitutional Convention on a silver platter to the people. Yeah. Because uh, we came so close to, to following the law, and now people are seeing that they just have to take the matter into their own hands. And I've been cautious about a Constitutional Convention um, because it opens up the entire thing. But if that's what the people want, then that's what we're going to do. Right. Uh, but I just want to make sure that we're focused and don't get distracted by um, special interest groups because that can so easily happen. And um, we have to stay focused on what's important. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm very, I've been very leery of the con-con, uh, agreeing that it's probably one of the only viable ways of actually fixing what's broken, but at the same time being worried about opening up Pandora's box. But I'm really coming to the point now to where this is really going to be the only solution that we got, I think, at this point to fix these things. All right, Sarah, we'll hold the line. We're about to jump back into it. We'll get the recap, what's happening in the next three days, what we can do to help. That's all directly ahead. The Michael Duke Show, Sarah Vance, our guest. Please like and share this video. Let's go. Let's do it. All right, uh, one final segment here. Sarah Vance is our guest, GOP state rep for District 31. And uh, we were just talking about the uh, we we're just talking about the concon and what's going on there. I guess we can revisit that real quick here. Uh, Sarah, you like me, were very concerned are very concerned about the potential uh, uh, you know, problems that a con con can bring with you. But I think you and I also agree that it's probably the only way that this thing is really going to be solved one way or the other. And they've basically given a direct boost to the con con based on their actions right now. It's true. But, um, you know, I think what I find so interesting is that yesterday representative Ivy Sponholt, so I sit next to on the floor was asking me where I, if I would be open to a conversation of providing the 10-day extension so that we can talk more about the fiscal plan. And one of the bills is uh, JKT's constitutional amendment that would say that uh, it included a dividend as provided by law. And she has been a proponent of a 75-25 split, but there's a lot of people now who are saying that we can change the formula to the 50-50 in statute. So we... So here we finally have majority members saying, hey, let's go ahead and put the dividend in the Constitution as provided by law. And I asked, well, in that conversation, does the constitutional amendment say that the statute cannot change without a vote of the people? And she said no. So um, we are closer to the conversation in the legislature than we've ever been. 
But I did tell them, don't you think it's a little late in the game? He has three <laughs> days left. Um, <laughs> and you want my 10-day extension? Promises, promises. We did this last year. Right. And I just don't believe you anymore. Right, right. So I think it's great that we're having the conversation. But it's pretty disingenuous to wait this late in the game to finally say, hey, you know, maybe we should talk about this. Well, it's time compression as a weapon, which is what the, the, the majority has been very good at. The business as usual and the pro-government spend crowd have been very good about using time compression as a weapon. And uh, that is, uh, that's the big deal. Sarah, recap for us this whole this whole this whole last five months in the legislature. You've been there now for a few years. You've kind of seen how the sausage is made. Uh, do me a comparative. I mean, it, you know, when you look back at this session, more contentious, less contentious. Got more done, got less done. Um, is this more just business as usual? Give us uh, your overall take here on what took place over the last four or five months. I feel that overall it's been um, less contentious in the House than I've seen it before. And I just have to give a shout out to the House Republican Caucus because they've been an amazing team. Uh, they really have. We've It's just been um, so easy to work with everyone. And we've been respectful to each other and allowing space to represent our district because we're not a binding caucus and we've really stuck to that. And, and when the hard conversations came, we made sure that we we were able to hear each other out. And, um, yes, there's frustration and there's disagreements. But I tell you, when you have a good team, you're uh, able to accomplish so much more. And that has really made a difference in this legislature. As far as what has actually been accomplished, it's very little. But that's something that we don't get to control the calendar or the movement of these bills. That's the majority. And uh, they're trying to finish everything up in these last few days that they realize, oh, wait a minute, we didn't get that across the finish line yet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so that's why you see uh, 12 to 20 bills on the floors today. Uh, You know, it, it really just helps have a plan. And I'm hoping that next year... That the House, that the Republicans can come together with a really good plan, a fiscal plan, a policy plan, and be able to um, provide that in a measured way. And um, I could be a little um, sarcastic and quote my good friend, Representative McCabe, and say that overall it's kind of a dumpster fire. Yeah, it's this thing is a dumpster fire. I think we can all agree on that uh, uh, right now. So the next three days are critical. Uh, they are probably already planning out exactly how they're going to give us the sticky shaft um, and what the vote is going to be. Now, once it comes out of conference committee, it then has to be concurred upon by both bodies, right? So this is not the final bite at the apple. You guys get one more shot at this. We do, and it's an up or down vote. And if let's just say that the vote were to fail, then they have to go back to conference committee. New members have to be appointed to conference committee. Right. Is that likely to happen? Highly unlikely. Right. Uh, Especially since we don't have a whole lot of time. It's amazing how much pressure uh, members feel on that. Uh, And and really, people people just want to be done. It's a campaign. It's an election year. People want to get back to their districts and campaign and just don't want to prolong the misery. Uh, so I see that, that 
concurrence will likely happen and that we'll get out of here. Um, that also raises the question, of course, as we come to the end of the sweep and the reverse sweep, we know that last year this got all held up and the reverse sweep didn't happen. What is your, t- and that requires a supermajority, by the way, of the bodies. What's your take on uh, on that parliamentary uh, procedure? What's going to happen there? Do you have any idea yet? Well, the budget, uh, they have they were really shrewd this time, and they made a workaround on that. And since we're not drawing... Uh, at, at this point, money out of the CDR, then that vote isn't needed. So they worked around that. So then the only other uh, mechanism for the minority uh, that they would actually need our vote is the effective date. And the effective date that it would activate the current uh, date that would um, happen immediately, or July 1st is the calendar year. If they don't get that effective date, the bill would be enacted 90 days later. Uh, this was the concern last year. However, they are saying that that's um, less of a problem because if they didn't have the effective date, the administration does have money to be able to float that checkbook to make sure that employees get paid on time and things like that. So the threat of a government shutdown there does not loom, even though it may take 90 days for it to go into effect. Uh there would be talk. I think the majority would try to use that as leverage against us to create a lot of stir um, in the public, but the the true impact would uh, be minimal. Uh, there would definitely be an impact, uh, but it it wouldn't be you know scorched earth like a lot of people think it would be. Uh, last couple minutes here, Sarah. What can we as citizens? I mean, we've done everything we can do. We've all made emails and phone calls of the last week. Uh, to try and get the vote for concurrence, that didn't work. Um, so, what's your? What do you? You know, what are you? Uh, are exhorting us to do? What should we be doing to help out here uh, in the next uh, three days? Uh, you know, just don't let up the pressure uh, because that's what they're counting on. They're counting on you moving on with your lives and not remembering the actions that have taken place in in the last few days. They're relying on you listening to the words coming out of their mouth instead of how they vote on the board. And actions speak louder than words, and that's what people need to remember. Well, I mean, this is going to be an interesting election season because, again, now you've got people who have uh, vocally and plainly voted against a full PFD, and no matter how they try to spin it, they have to sell that to their constituency. Do you think it has an impact on on everybody? You know, I certainly hope so. Uh, You know, that's why I continue to ask the people in my district, have you changed your mind on what you first elected me to do? Because I have to come back to you with the conversations that are being had, like, hey, with the 50-50 um, split in a formula, if that's something that comes before me, I need to know where you stand on that. If you change your mind, let me know. Otherwise, I default back to our original contract. Um you know, there are some areas that have not highlighted the importance of that to their legislator enough. And um, and so they're able to say, hey, I, I, I don't get emails with, from people about this. Right. And they use that as their metric. So the emails and the phone calls and the conversations when those legislators are back home face to face really do matter. And, um, you know, letting us know what's important to you and and the priorities of how you want us to vote. That, that's why we're here. That's, um, 
I know I go about my vote differently. I say, what do you want? Uh, and usually it lines with what I want. But um, overall, if I'm unsure about something, I have to default to the will of my district because that's what I'm here to do. Right. And, um, you know, I, I'm always encouraging people, you make those phone calls, you make those emails, and especially have a conversation with your legislator. When we come back home, we're accessible to you. And um, don't believe the lie that we're, that we're so far off because yeah. we come back home and we're right there in your backyard. Sarah Vance, we appreciate all you do. Thank you for being part of it today. I appreciate it and uh, love having you on. And we look forward to having you back in district so we can talk to you some more. Thanks for coming on board. Thanks, Michael. Folks, we're out of time for today. Tomorrow, Brad Keithley, Chris Story. We'll dissect this some more and see what the long-term effects are going to be. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Well, that's it for today. Thank you to Sarah Vance for being part of the program. I mean, I still got some blame in my heart. I got to be honest with you. Still got some blame. We're going to see what uh, we're going to see what this brings here in the future. Be kind to one another, love one another, live well. That's my mantra. That's what we should do no matter what happens. You're going to have a great Monday, my friends. This is going to be a good week for you. We will see you tomorrow right here on the big radio program. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs>